0: Hello and welcome to Nerd Girl Musings Podcast. My name is Jen and I'm so glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about Space Camp. This is a movie that's been on my list for a while, but this last week, Kelly Preston, who was one of the actors in Space Camp and a number of other films like Jerry Maguire, uh, passed away from a two-year battle with cancer. So in her memory and honor, I decided we're going to do Space Camp today. This is a movie that, unless you own it currently, or uh, I guess you could watch parts of it on YouTube, you really may not know this one. So, people that are my age, I'm in my 40s, we grew up with this movie. It was one of those that uh, Flight of the Navigator, uh, Goonies, you know, all of these movies kind of came out together. So uh, this was always in rotation for me growing up. I was a huge space nerd as a kid, like really big. Uh, I've been to NASA a lot of times down in um, Orlando or just outside of Orlando, Cape Canaveral. I did get to see the Challenger when it was on its way out to the launch pad. We had gone down to Florida for a family vacation and that was part of our stop. Um, and this was, I don't remember if which launch this was supposed to be. Uh, they had done a few times trying to get the Challenger to launch before the actual uh, fatal launch day. But uh, so one of those times I was out there with my family and I got to see it rolling out to the launch pad. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. I will never forget, I was wearing my parachute pants because that's what was cool back then. They were hot pink, just in case you were wondering. And it was just a moment that I could imagine myself going up in space. And I was nine years old uh, when the Challenger exploded during liftoff in 1986. That also was the year that Space Camp was released. Uh, they actually pushed back the release due to the Challenger incident, so it was uh, it came out about six months later in the summer, and by all by all rights, it was considered a, a big flop. It did not make very much in the in the theaters, likely due to Challenger. I mean, who wants to go watch a movie about kids being launched into space due to an accident and? you know it just timing could not have been worse but I think the movie truly lived on in VHS and it I love it I still watch it quite often um I had a DVD which I then burned and um so I have it on my hard drive and and I watch it all the time um you know and I was one of those kids that I loved science so there's a character in the movie his name is Rudy um He's gonna go to space to launch Rudy T's. He's gonna go have a, a fast food joint up there in space, and um, he's talking with another character. And he was like, you know, people always ask me why are you taking in science, why you, you know, why are you into science? And he's like, I love science. Now ask me if I'm any good at it, and that's where I fall. Loved science, loved everything about it. Never in a million years would I pass any test. become an astronaut. So I knew that. And so I had to give up my dream quite young, but it didn't, it didn't stop me from envisioning me as, as one of those kids. And I wanted to go to space camp so bad, but it was quite expensive. And so my folks never sent me to space camp. I got to go to other camps, but not the one I really wanted. Um, so anyway, getting back to the movie what we have is we have a a group of misfit kids. Um, you know we've got um, we've got kids that aren't old enough to technically be in there. Um, we have an astronaut that lost out on her chance to be selected to go into space. She happens to be married to the space camp director and he's also a former astronaut, so he's like, "Hey, you, know, you didn't get to go to space, but you get to spend the summer with me." at space camp with these kids. And Andy, played by Kate Capshaw, who I also just adore, uh, she is the adult, essentially, of this, of this group. Um, you know, it was, the kids were mainly unknown actors at the time. Um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix was known as Leaf. And he hadn't switched his name yet. Uh, River Phoenix had been hanging out on the set with him and helped coach him through a few, a uh, few things that he was scared about. Apparently during filming, um, Leah Thompson, Kelly Preston, Tate Donovan, uh, you know, Kate Capshaw was just uh, just two years outside of Raiders of the Lost Ark, so she wasn't technically a star by any means yet. She was climbing those ladders. Um, and, you know, Leah Thompson, she was about a year outside of Back to the Future, or if you really pay attention, she's three years outside of Jaws 3D, uh, which was the first time that we saw Leah Thompson. She um, gets bitten, and uh, they tried to kill her, but she doesn't die. She she survives Jaws, but we never see her again. Um, and then she also was in Red Dawn. And Space Camp came out the same year as her movie, Howard the Duck. Also a cult classic, a uh, little odd, but it truly is a fun film. Maybe we'll talk about that one down the road. Um, you know, so we had we had some unknown actors that were going to go on to do something really special with their lives. Uh, they were able to pair acting with some real life shots of the Challenger landing, um, uh, at the end of the movie, when they're doing a nighttime landing, that's actually the Challenger, uh, which was from the shuttle Space shuttle's first nighttime landing. So they incorporated a few different pieces of real space, um, you know, the actual shuttles and um, sets from uh, they were recreated. Space Camp was recreated from the actual space camp themselves. It wasn't too big yet. Um, Space camp was only in one or two countries. It didn't have a huge following at the time. Um, It's much bigger now. So uh, kids get to explore all of that more. But so these kids arrive at space camp. Some of them truly want to be there and they're really excited. Uh, Other ones are just there because it was a trade-off. You want the car? Okay, dad wants space camp. We got a deal. So we have a little bit of romance. There's, um, you know, there's a little bit of a of a relationship going on here. Kids sneaking out, getting caught. Um, Max has has a little robotic friend that comes along, and his antics are what eventually launch them up into space. So these kids are chosen um, by a, like a random. I don't know, all these other kids, uh, their particular group was chosen to do a flight readiness test. Um, for the record, NASA would never allow this for real astronauts to, to do any kind of a flight readiness testing, simply because if there is something that happens, they don't have people in there. Um, you know, they, they would never allow a non-astronaut into a fueled shuttle. So the kids go in to, the, to do their testing, and they're having a blast, and they're all excited, and, you know, you can feel the moment, and then all of a sudden something happens. Max's friend, Jinx, is talking to another computer, and he says, you know, Max and Jinx friends forever. Max really wants to go to space, so what do I need to do to make that happen? And the computer and Jinx, they work together to create A scenario where they can get Max into space. So they decide on a strategy, and then we start seeing the alarms, and everybody's wondering what's going on. Well, Andy, who happens to be inside the shuttle with the kids, all of a sudden says, launch us or we'll explode. And she quick switches seats with Catherine and off they go. They take off. So here goes a group of kids and one astronaut who hadn't made it to space yet on their way out, and it's a a perfect liftoff. But then we learn the flight or the uh, shuttle was not flight ready yet, of course, because this is a test, and so they only have shortwave radios. And so once they get to a certain point, it all relies on Andy's instincts and her training and what she knows to do. Uh, to be able to get those kids up into space, so apparently um, NASA has some contingency plans for when a shuttle is launched. Uh, there, are, there are three different ways that they can go. They can um, how they can abort the launch if it's gotten too far that they actually take off. Um, They've got some different landing options, um, but worst case scenario, they launch into orbit, circle back around, and come right back in so that appears to be the scenario that they chose for this movie, and as the kids get up there, they no longer have radio contact, but because Tish, who has a photographic memory, and she says a few times in the in the uh, movie, I read it in a book once, so that's how we know. That's what she has. But anyway, she knows Morse code. So she's busy over there working on some of the control panels, something that communicates with NASA so they can know what their plan is. And the kids realize, oh, goodness, we don't have enough oxygen. So now we need oxygen. And they you know, talk about, too bad there's not a drive through We can just go over there. And then they remember Daedalus. Uh, Daedalus is sort of like an early, um, maybe a mirror space center, uh, but it, it's not, there's nobody living there. There's not a place that they can dock and hang out and, you know, wait for a rescue or something like that. Um, it's, it's a structure in space that happens to have some canisters of oxygen there waiting for emergencies, I guess, um, Apparently the initial script called for uh, the Russians to send some kids or send something from kids at a space camp in Russia to rescue them, but uh, they decided to go this route. And so Andy leaves the shuttle because she's the adult, so she's going to go out into space and go get us that oxygen. As she's out there, she realizes she can't reach the containers of oxygen. So here's one thing that, I mean, did they build the structure around the canisters of oxygen? I'm not sure why why she can't reach them. Did somebody with much longer arms put them in there? It just seems a little odd, but it's a darn good thing we have a little kid along with us. And Tish was wearing a really big belt, so they were able to maneuver him into a spacesuit. So he goes out, and hey, look, he fits. So he's able to grab us some oxygen, and they're bringing it back to the ship. Um, Max starts to go in, and Andy's hooking everything up. There's a little bit of drama there uh, over what color, and Rudy's not exactly. Um, confident in his answer. So he said, oh, it's this color wire. Oh, wait, nope, not that one. It's this one. Nope, wait, not that one. So there's a little back and forth with him and Catherine here. Um, and all of a sudden, they, they get it, uh, Andy gets it connected. And the next one, it kind of spurts away from her. And you see her slam into the back wall of the shuttle and float off into space. So Max is able to turn around, and he, he kind of hangs on to something that, um, that is attached to Andy. But then the cargo bay doors close because now NASA, thanks to Tisha's Morse code, has caught on to what they were doing. They're going to bring him home on remote. Um, cargo bay doors are closing. Andy's hanging outside of the shuttle. Max is inside going, wait, I, you know, she's not in yet. What do we do? And the kids have to make a decision. Uh, we hear Andy say, you know, Catherine, take the window in this dramatic way, because if they don't take off right then, they will miss their window to reenter Earth's atmosphere. Um, so Catherine has a split, de- uh, split second decision she needs to make, and she can't make that decision. So Kevin reaches over, hits the cargo bay doors. He like snaps out of it um and starts instructing people on what to do and who needs to do what and start pulling in Andy. So that whole dramatic scene is over. They get Andy back inside. She's hurt, but they have her tucked in inside the capsule and you know the kids are trying to rack their brain. How do we get back? What do we do? Um and of course they remember Columbia's mission from I think it was 1982 where they landed in White Sands, New Mexico. And so they decide, yeah, let's, let's do that one. So Tish gets back on the Morse code, tells NASA, here's where we're going. They send her coordinates, and we're plugging back in to head back home. Well, it can't ever be quite that simple. So as they're coming back in, uh, Catherine overcorrects, which sends them into a roll, and she needs to, as the pilot, really get the shuttle Um, where it needs to be. So we see a little screen. It's got to be at 30 degrees. And um, there were some experts that weighed in and said that 30 degrees would actually have them skipping off the um, atmosphere of earth and, and everything, but it was easier for a movie. So they kept it at 30 degrees. She is eventually able to fly that bird right on in there, right through the window, touchdown. All kids are good. Everybody's home. So it's a feel-good ending of a movie. Um, Roger Ebert gave this a one-and-a-half star, calling it dumb, which is funny just knowing how he's rated some movies um, that I've really enjoyed growing up. And and I think for somebody that wasn't really into Space Camp or into NASA or, or maybe you weren't nine years old, you didn't get it, um, but it was overall, it was a really good movie. I don't know. I can't recall if I ever saw it in a theater. I just remember renting it from the movie store. Um, you know, getting my videotapes, I would ride my bike down to Blockbuster probably and rent whatever I was allowed to rent and, um, and everything. But, you know, when I was nine years old and, uh, When the Challenger exploded in 1986, after we had gotten back from Florida, um, I remember sitting in class, and I was wearing all of my NASA stuff. There was a magazine that we used to get, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was called, uh, but it had a picture of the Challenger crew because Krista McAuliffe was the first teacher in space, so we were watching in anticipation. Not that many places were streaming it live, or I guess it wasn't streaming back then, but not too many places were showing it live at that point. Um, I think it was CNN uh, had a satellite feed for a lot of schools to hook up to because it was getting kids excited about space. And I had brought um, astronaut ice cream with me to use as like a show and tell that day and handing it out ready for the launch. And then this moment that will forever be seared into my brain. So I like the fact that they still released the movie because it does, I mean, real-life scenarios like that happen. We've seen Challenger, we've seen Columbia. Um, I was too young for the Apollo um, incidences, but one um, one of the guys from the Apollo, I think it was 11, where it caught on fire. Um, he was from Michigan, where I was from, so uh, we have some streets, Roger B. Chafee Boulevard named after him. And uh, so it, you know, I feel like my whole life has been surrounded by NASA in some way, And I would take any chance I could to go back to Cape Canaveral and uh, live my dream of being an astronaut again. So I'll end it with something that President Reagan uh, said in a speech. The night of the Challenger explosion uh, was supposed to be his uh, State of the Union address, and rather than do that, he scrapped it and spoke about the Challenger astronauts and what happened. And so what he said is, um, We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them. This morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. It... I think it's a great spot to end. Um, great movie if you can get your hands on it. A little bit cheesy as far as some of, the, some of the effects go, but if you can look past that and just have fun, it's got a great soundtrack. John Williams composed the score for this movie, and it's a good family, family flick. Have a good day. Be well.